Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Today's guest is Aida Rodriguez. You've seen her competing as a finalist in 2014 on season eight of NBC's Last Comic Standing. And she's hosted the Imagine Awards to celebrate the positive portrayal of Latinos on screen in TV, movies, ads, and web series. She's also working hard on improving those images firsthand. So let's get to it. Ida Rodriguez, thank you so much for being part of uh, Last Things First. Oh, thank you for having me here. I, <laughs> I uh, it took quite a, it was quite a trip, but um, I'm I'm learning. I'm getting my New York footing. Well, you're not a native New Yorker, so. Uh, all Puerto Ricans are native New Yorkers. This is, <laughs> this is the hub. <laughs> but um, I haven't lived here since I was younger. Um, okay. I lived here as a child, mm-hmm. and then I came back when I was modeling. So I lived, I stayed like in Battery Park. And everything was just going to go sees and shoots and stuff like that. So I didn't really get out through into the city. I was I was traveling. I would come and mm-hmm. work and leave. So, so when you were when you were a model in in New York, were you were you dreaming of being a comedian then? And like, oh, I'm I'm slumming it as a model. That's funny. Yes, because <laughs> you know I've always wanted to be a comedian. Uh, modeling was something that happened for me um, because at the time uh, the ethnic look was in, mm-hmm. and I was really really tall. And um, tall and, is not an ethnicity. No, no, but I was tall <laughs> and an ethnic, you know, that back then, but now, according to Instagram, all mm-hmm. you have to have is implants to be a model. But oh, okay. during that time, so that's my problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like actual like model sizes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually modeled, you know, for financial reasons. Okay. Um, it wasn't like a passion. Um, I enjoyed it because it was kind of fun for me, but I was also the goofball. You know, I was always, always the funny girl. What did you study in school? Um, I went to school to I went to school to study uh, genetic engineering. And okay, okay, now <laughs> one semester of uh, when they when I figured out that my curriculum entailed absolutely no life, mm-hmm. um, I changed my major and decided to become an English major. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about genetic engineering that that held? I'm still fascinated. That captured you. Well, I love science. I've I've always mm-hmm. been fascinated by um, the genetic process and all of the awesome things. And it's funny because a lot of the things that I used to read about then are coming to pass now. Um, being able to engineer the color of your children's eyes and and the gender and all that stuff. But I, I actually wanted to study genetic engineering for um, for the betterment of society, not the uh, the superficial aspect of it. Or not just to clone yourself? No. <laughs> I would never want to clone myself. <laughs> I don't think the world deserves that. <laughs> so you have two children, right? I do. Now, uh, how well did you genetically engineer them? Um, they turned out okay. Yeah? Um, yeah, you They're know. They're DNA-wise? Pretty much even with what we were working with. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, right, you only had half a say in that. I, absolutely, and because um, you didn't, you didn't pursue the degree further. 
No, and you know the the laws of genetic of integers, a positive and a negative equal a negative. But luckily oh. for us, that that didn't apply. <laughs> that had two positives. Well, we're not here to talk about the negative. In no, your life. I don't we're talk, here to about talk about your positive. Well, yeah, they turned out pretty good, and uh, yeah. you know, I was really young, and um, I talk about that in my stand up. I am a third generation teenage pregnancy case. My okay. mom, my grandmother. Um, part of that is cultural, and then the other part is, I guess. Uh, Lack of education and, you know, um, old uh, religious views that really, um, you know, did a disservice to, to me as a young woman because I was very uneducated when it came to things of sex and, you know, and relationships and social stuff and, you know, the old school ways of what women were supposed to do. And so my battle with that and obtaining an education in America through... Um, and through mentorship from a lot of awesome people, I was able to, you know, get out of that hole. But I, I did fall prey to that because it was just something that was uh, I had no no concept. My mother would never talk to me about sex. She mm. was really, really. My parents still haven't had the talk. with me. <laughs> no, which I is think... why they're not grandparents. <laughs> it's so funny. But that old school way. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it was it was a mess. OK, so. You said you wanted to be a comedian. Always. But um, then you ended up being a teen mom. Well, yeah. You know, well, the other thing is when I, I wanted to be a stand up since I was little. I used to right. walk around with a broomstick, you know, cracking jokes. And that was my mic. How old were you? No, how old? That was how little, young? like five, six years old. Okay. My mom was pregnant and, and uh, she was on bed rest mm-hmm. and I was her entertainment. So I would pull out this broomstick and I would even take out the Bible and crack jokes. You know, I knew that either I was going to go to hell or be a comedian, <laughs> according to the, the religious views of my family. But then um, that was something that that's not something that's perceived as being a feminine thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to be um, I loved Richard Pryor. I was I was little and I, it was a, there was a Spanish comedian. He, he passed away a few years ago. His name is Alvarez Hedes. He's Alvarez. Cuban. Mm-hmm. And he was like the biggest like Latin com- comedian to ever come out of Cuba. He was signed to like. The, the Fania um, label, which was like one of the biggest labels, uh, the salsa music. And okay. he was like the first comedian that they signed. And I used to listen to them like when I was little and I wanted to do that. And, you know, I remember my mom, you know, not steering me away from it because it wasn't feminine. It was something that was perceived as masculine. Women didn't, weren't, weren't supposed to be goofy. Well, you were also in the Dominican well, Republic then, right? No, that, where were you when, I was in, in Miami. Oh, in Miami. Miami. Okay. Yeah, I, I had been, I, I was brought back. I'm an anchor baby. <laughs> um, there you go, Donald Trump, come for me. They, I was, bo- I was born he in will. Boston. He will come for you. I'm sure. I want, I want him to so I can do his hair. That's my goal. I want to sit him down and just do his hair. <laughs> and I want to get him some concealer for that orange face. <laughs> Thankfully, this this podcast is timeless, so oh, yeah. his Good. face will still need uh, always. Cons- he will always. He's always needed it. <laughs> he's my favorite. So, when you were five years old with the broomstick, who, were you doing? Rich- you weren't doing Richard Pryor. What were you? No, I was doing my own stuff. Okay, it wasn't funny, but it was mine. <laughs> What's the earliest joke of yours or routine of yours that you still remember? You know, I don't remember. Um, I do. I'm writing a movie about it, actually. And I, okay, I, I so started you... writing, trying to figure out what my jokes were, because mm-hmm. I, I know that one of the, the funniest things that I remember as a 
I have material all around me. So my mother's from Puerto Rico, my father's Dominican, mm-hmm. and my stepfather's Cuban. Okay. So I single-handedly represent the entire Spanish-speaking Caribbean. And there was such a battle with the, with, you know, my mom would tell me, don't tell people that you're Dominican. You know, you don't have to claim that. Your father's not in your life. As if it was something like negative, you mm-hmm. know, like you don't have to tell people that you're Dominican. You have good hair. <laughs> which was ridiculous. And then my grandmother and my stepfather hated each other because okay. my my grandmother's from Puerto Rico and my stepfather was a white Cuban or is a white Cuban and he would always point out the blackness in us as if it was something negative. So it was just this constant battle. So I used to always have like jokes about that, you know, cuz I and then the other thing is that Puerto Ricans and Cubans the language there's a language barrier like a a loaf of bread in in puerto rico in cuba is a bad word and a bug in cuba is a bad word in puerto rico so i was really confused and so i used to crack jokes about that like i don't i mean i'm just gonna start signing so i won't get popped Mm. but it was just constant so that that's what i remember talking about okay but then how young how at what age were you when you started modeling um, I started loosely like around at the age of 14. That's okay. when I was first uh, identified. I won't say discovered because I never became a supermodel, but I was identified by by a, an agent at about like a scout when I was about 14 years old. And then when's the last time you modeled? Um, you know, I they still call me for some jobs now, mm-hmm. like which is really interesting because I'm much heavier than a model is supposed to be. I I did some stuff. Um, last year I did okay. some stuff, but I, it's not frequent. It's just every once in a while, someone will call me. And then in the in-between, before you started doing comedy professionally, what were you doing for work? Um, all I did ever, I've always been in the entertainment business. So okay. I was an actress, you know, um, I was writing, I was writing movies, independent films, I was working for a, a company that, that did, uh, independent movies that, um, were distributed through Maverick, the worst distribution house on the planet. Oh, sorry. And th- no, it's not because <laughs> of me, but because of the content. But um, I, I was working. I've always been in the entertainment business. Okay. I mean, I've had jobs to mm-hmm. survive, you know, like jobs here and there. Right. But my focus has always been in entertainment. Well, I like I like to ask comedians what they, you know, because you don't start out making money. Mm-mm. I used to work at this. Edward Jones. Okay. The invest- investment company. Yeah in the stock market that's what i that's where that was what i was doing uh when i booked last comic standing oh so what (laughs) so what was your last day at edward jones like did you tell them yeah i had i'm sorry i have to go do tv now yeah (laughs) no you know i had to because my uh my boss is ultra conservative guy it was a network television watcher okay so i you know it was just gonna be weird and yeah so I yeah I told them that um, I was still doing stand up mm-hmm. so they knew that I I would leave on the weekends and go do weekends I was opening you know I would open for Russell or go work so I had to uh, let them know they knew I was doing stand up and when I booked Last Comic I didn't tell them that I didn't quit because of Last Comic Standing I had planned to stop and to pursue my stand up because right. I started headlining before okay. Last Comic not a lot but I was still so I was like I have to start. I have to get focused on this and so and I have to believe in it so I quit and uh what's the last thing you remember from your last comic experience uh the last thing I remember from yeah. my last comic experience was um Wanda Sykes telling me when I when I lost her and Paige Hurwitz uh reassuring me that I was going to be fine you know that was what what I walked away with that before I got into a car with Jimmy Schubert 
who I wanted to strangle at the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she was like, "You're gonna be fine, and we're gonna we're gonna keep working with you." And it was that was what I walked away with. Was there was there a worry or, or a concern that that it wouldn't be fine? Or well, you know, anytime that, I mean, it's traumatic when you get rejected as an entertainer. Mm-hmm. Anytime you lose, it doesn't matter what anybody says. You feel a certain you know, heaviness. The other thing is, like, unlike this season, Last Comic Standing went on for a few months. Right. So I had developed a camaraderie with these people, you know, like a family per se. And I was I was in and out of this hotel with them and, you know, riding in a car with them. And then I, uh, I don't have family in California, so I get attached to the people that are close to me. So when it was over, it was like I'm no part, no longer part of the family and I'm going to miss my friends. I missed Carlos and Joe Maki. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just it, it, it affected me that way that I was really sad that it was. over. So I was a little down. So what was your what was your first strategy for post last comic standing? Um, well, I immediately started working. You know, it's funny because when a lot of people didn't notice when we shot last comic standing, my name was on the marquee because I was headlining there the next night. Oh, nice. And um, so and I, my, it was on my grandmother's birthday. My grandmother passed away. Uh, right before last comic. Mm-hmm. So I think it w- for me, it was a sign that I was going to be fine. But I didn't have an opportunity to, I only had a few moments to grieve over losing last comic, you know, losing because the very next day I was headlining the Hollywood improv and that's pressure. So, um, you know, I lost, I, uh, I cried, I felt bad. And, um, and then I went home mm-hmm. and uh, I, you know, I took a shower, got dressed and I went out to go work out my set. And um, and the next day, I was at the Hollywood Improv. Nice. Mm-hmm. No, that wasn't your first screen credit, though, was it? No. What was your first? My first uh, screen credit as a stand-up comedian, uh, was it Nickelodeon? It, I think it was Nickelodeon. It was uh, Mom's Night Out or maybe... Uh, no, no, no. My very first stand-up credit was in 2008. Uh, with Kevin Hart okay. on a show on BET. He had a show called, uh, uh, not Stand Up and Deliver. That was No, Nouveau. that's Nouveau. Yeah, no, I did Stand Up and Deliver. But what was the show that he had? He he took over uh, Comic View, mm-hmm. and it was the new season with Kevin Hart. And I, I booked it. And I had only been doing Stand Up for maybe nine months. So I'm so glad that, that, uh, that they spliced it because <laughs> it, it was awful. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was bad. So did you use that as a, but you used that as a credit though, when you were trying to get club work, um, right? You said I'm on, no, on BET. No, I didn't. No? No, I didn't. I never used it as a, a credit. Now you said that was your first screen credit as a stand-up. Mm-hmm. What was your first screen credit then? Well, um. It implies you were on TV yeah, or film before that? Yeah, I did a movie uh, that that's on, actually it's on Netflix. Uh, I did a movie in 2007. Um. My first TV credit was Lingo. <laughs> Lingo the game. Yeah, the I game did show? Lingo. Yeah, my friend lured me to the Lingo to mm-hmm. do Lingo with her. She's obsessed with the show. Yeah, and I was like, and that's so funny because more people saw me on Lingo than saw me on Nickelodeon. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> because they also replay Lingo over on over. Game Show Network yeah. all the time. It still comes. Up. It's, I got a call recently, and that was before anything was really funny. No. If we look it up, how was your performance on Lingo? I did very well. Yeah. If it wasn't for my friend, we would have won. Oh, right, because you're in teams. 
Yeah. If it mm. wasn't for her, you and you'll see if you watch it, you can see yeah. it. You know, lingo, taboo. Uh, English is and my. Was that when Chuck Woolery was hosting, or no? Was it someone else. It wasn't Chuck. But you know, who was it? No, it wasn't Chuck. Okay. I would have remembered Chuck. But <laughs> I would have remembered. Chuck. I would have taken a selfie with Chuck. <laughs> Um, did you take his, uh, did you take any selfies with uh, Keenan? I didn't. I did not. But you know, it's funny. I had a talk with him uh, two weeks ago. Okay. And so it's it, I didn't. I, we don't have an antagonistic relationship. You know, he and I are very cool. And so I have a lot of respect for Keenan. Mm-hmm. And um, and we talked. He and Roseanne were were the most uh, ironically because I know Russell, mm-hmm. but Keenan and and Roseanne were a lot more. You know, they were they were the ones that reached out to me more on, okay. on the show. And then you've also uh, since then performed on Shaq's yeah comedy um, tours. Yeah, I'm still, what's what's that like? Oh, it's humbling because I'm on a tour with. So the, the reality of Ida Rodriguez when it comes to stand up comedy is mm-hmm. I'm on a show with five white guys or five black guys. That's just my reality. <laughs> Anywhere from three to five. And so, and then a shade of brown. And, and then there's a shade of brown in the girl. Mm-hmm. So, um, those are the guys that I have seen, you know, that I watch stand up doing stand up from before I was a comedian. You know, when I was a young girl, mm-hmm. like I, I see, um, you know, Tommy Davidson is someone that I I know. Oh, yeah. I used to watch in Living Color, and so it, it it's humbling because for them to to see me uh, on par with those people is very very. You know, it's very humbling for me. And because I I live in a world in comedy where I perform all the markets. I perform the mainstream market. I do the urban scene and I do the Latino scene. Um, And I I feel very thankful that I'm able to do that because I'm so true to my myself that I I can go anywhere I feel. And so being a part of that, you know, I, I, I live in a world of comedy where some of the mainstream world looks down on the urban scene and then. You know, the urban scene doesn't think the mainstream world is that funny. I find something um, to take away from all of it. And I, I learn something everywhere I land. I refuse to walk away without a lesson. So I'll tell you, Earthquake is an amazing comedian. And Tommy Davidson is undeniably funny. And D. Ray Davis is fearless. And, you know, Tony Roberts is, he makes people cry laughing. You know, like <laughs> just watching... That world is, and, and, you know, this little Puerto Rican girl that never thought I would ever, you know, I, that this was going to be impossible for me to be in that company is very, very humbling. And I feel honored. You know, I respect all, com- all comedians. Is there a spot in a lineup like that where you feel more comfortable than, than other spots since there's like five of you on the, well, on the bill? The way it's all seniority based. Okay. And so I always, I mean, I've always gone first. Mm-hmm. Um, I've earned my place where, uh, on, uh, one of the shows, you know, on a few of the shows I've moved up on the lineup mm-hmm. and I think that that's respect. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm fine going up first when people who've been doing stand up 25 years are going up after me. That's, that doesn't, my ego is not, I don't operate from that. Okay. You know? I'm never like who I'm go Who's following <laughs> me? Who do I, I don't right. to me. That's like, I'm not following him. It's all, it, it's so ignorant to me. To my show is just my show. I'm not in competition with anybody but me. So do you have any sort of pre-show rituals that you go through to, to get de- you set, yourself set? I'm developing one because I feel like the people People want to talk to me. Um, 
a lot before I go on stage. <laughs> and I think they forget that I have to, you know, I am hyper. So I need to sit down and I need to focus. My, I, I, I know I have ADD. So I have to sit down and get ready and get centered for my shows. So I've, I've developed this thing to, you know, isolate myself, breathe. And, you know, I have my own, my little things that I say and stuff like that. Okay. But I definitely have developed one, you know, where I, I stretch and I, I just have to get ready to go because I am not um, one of the comedians that I'm not physical and I'm not on. It's just me. And so I have to have a certain level of focus. Right. Because it's just me, the mic and my jokes. And uh, and so for me, I, I have to get centered. So, yeah, I've developed I'm, I'm developing. the I'm, I'm perfecting it as I go. So it's more focused than it is energy. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. it, it, because, you know, I'm on shows with people who are, you know, uh, moving stools and <laughs> jumping up and down and doing all this other stuff. Right. And um, and I need to I just need to get centered and just remember who I am and get get to that place where my job is to just be me. And that that can be hard sometimes when you are around all this energy. Now, do you have a different ritual when you're hosting something like the Imagine Awards? I do. I have to I have to do the same thing. I mm -hmm. have to get, you know, uh, I have to get focused. And uh, this one was a. a the last one I did, because I, I did it two years in a row, so this one was a little bit more nerve-wracking because Kenny Ortega was producing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's some... If, if you see the people and the way they behave in his presence, they're, like, always auditioning for him. You know, like, he... You know, people just walk by and just all of a sudden they break into... <laughs> you you know it's a scene. You're like, you know, this is not a conversation. <laughs> so for me... Um, it's a showcase. It, all the time. Yeah. And so with, with him... He really is about the show. I mean, this guy put together Michael Jackson's final tour. So he is some high school musical. <laughs> Let's not forget the greats. <laughs> greats. But he, uh, so it was really, really, yeah, I had to, I had to get away from everybody mm -hmm. and just, um, and I also, I walk, I pace. So instead of pacing, um, I just walked around that, the venue over and over again and just got my blood flowing and just away from everybody. What's what? What's the key to hosting an award show? It's hard. Yeah. It's hard because you can't be a stand the stand up comedian that you are in the club. Um, there's a certain level of politics involved when you're dealing with with executives and people you know of importance. Mm -hmm. um, they are tired. They get really tired. It's really long, and uh, we're taping. and And people are just uh, you know they're frustrated because they want to leave. People want to get their awards and go. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, you know, they have to sit through these speeches. And so for me, um, it was just to keep the show moving. And uh, and that was one of the greatest compliments that I got from one of the uh, the head of development at ABC. She said, you that show was so long. She put it on Twitter, too. She was like, that show was unbelievably long. Thank you for keeping it just moving and just being able to turn yourself off and just service the people in the audience who will have to sit there for three hours. Right. But that wasn't, that wasn't a live one, was it? No, it wasn't live. It was live. taped for later. Yeah. It airs October 3rd. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a job, you know, it's not as yeah. easy as people think. Everybody's like the lady who does it. People are always pitching themselves. I, I would kill that show, you know? And, um, and we all think that, but I've done it two years in a row and it is a lot of work. It is so much. And I wrote it this year. So oh, wow. 
Yeah, it was really, really a lot of work. So what kind of a monologue did you did you write for yourself? Well, this this year, my monologue, which I believe a great part of it got cut for TV, okay. um, was talking about, you know, it was very topical. Mm-hmm. And I did talk about Donald Trump. Yeah. And um and PB PBS is not going to air that, but I, I did talk about because right, the Imagine Awards is are, are Latin, about like, Latinos. Latinos, yeah. So so I, I made Trump a, is absolutely noteworthy. Yeah. <laughs> so I closed the show as a gift. Kenny Ortega got me a Donald Trump piñata, <laughs> and um, I beat that piñata, <laughs> and that was it was really fun. Um, they're not going to air that either. Oh, so but I'm going to maybe get, a web web exclusive. Well, they're gonna I'll, um they're gonna send me the footage okay. on Friday, so oh, I'll nice. send it to you. All right. Yeah, I'll awesome. give it to you. So you put it on the comics comic. Oh, thanks. Before we put it anywhere else. Yeah, no, no, no. I did. I beat the the crap out of that thing. It was, it was, it was just. I was tired. I was hungry. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of Donald Trump. It was a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> well, because you know, you know, we've just been through the Emmy Awards and the MTV Awards before that, mm-hmm. and after who wins and who loses, and if there's a big performance, everybody's always talking about how the host did. Yeah. Yeah, that, I got like, Where was the host? The ho- there was too much of the host. The host wasn't there. Yeah. It's all out. Well, you know, I got a, a very favorite. Danny Pino from Law and Order SVU mm-hmm. told me that he enjoyed me. He thought I was funny and irreverent. And that was the. I, I you know, my fearlessness sometimes gets me in trouble. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works in my favor. And in a room filled with people who consider themselves celebrities, I am anti celebrity culture. So for me, I don't I don't want to be part of that in crowd. I want to always, you know, I, I George Carlin is my hero. I want to be able to have a voice and speak for the people that are not walking around with three thousand dollar handbags, you know. So for me, it, it I I'm not in there kissing people's ass because I want to be cool with this actress and I want to roll with that one. Right. So everybody got it that night. It was just there was no nobody was safe and. I wasn't going to be mean, but it was just, you know, let, let's make fun of ourselves, guys. We There are people out there that work at towel mills and farmers who are struggling, and you guys really take yourself so seriously. It's, t- it's t- not tonight. How, do, how, have you, how have you managed to keep that balance when so many people in entertainment are narcissistic and too ambitious? And um, I don't know. You know, I think it's my family. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandmother always reminded me of who I was. And who I am is is never according to someone else. And I think those people are mainly are people are who they are according to somebody else or according to. And then when the according to such and such, you're no longer hot or relevant. There are these there are these meltdowns and, you know, all this Botox and these fillers and people look like death becomes her and it just gets all weird. So I've always just known that who I am to my grandmother, who I am to my mother, who I am to my children it, it reigns supreme. And um, I don't ever, ever want to belong to that. You know, I, it, it, and, and I suffer from the ills that everybody does. Like I, I just, a, a drunk driver hit my car, my parked car, and um, I got a settlement and I was going to buy a car. And I remember going to the lot and I bought a BMW and I drove the BMW for a day. Mm. And then it just drove me crazy that the that I bought that BMW for the reasons that I suspected I bought it. And it was, it was, it had nothing to do with me loving BMWs or liking that car. It was more about a status symbol and feeling like I wanted people to know that I'm working and right. you're and, successful. And, and I took it back and I got a Prius 
And I felt so much better driving around in the Prius, $26 to fill my tank. <laughs> it was just, it was so much more me. Right. And I just, I could just see my grandmother and just see my, you know, it just, it's so, so I think that what keeps me away from that is just my family, my the people around me that, that are always there, whether I lose last comic standing, book a TV show, they're always there no matter what happens. So for your, for your kids, have you already put the broomstick in their hands? <laughs> well, you know, they don't, that my son is, is an aspiring, he wants to be a director when okay. he, he grows up. And my daughter is, um, she's a writer, she's a singer, she's a great singer, but she's in school uh, to study business. Okay. And I think that, um, you know, I've been offered, I, I'm, I'm over 10 reality shows that, that have been offered to me and I've turned them all down because... I don't want to exploit my kids. Mm-hmm. I think they have a right to their privacy, and they don't—they didn't sign up for this. Um, I think that if they come to the entertainment business, it will be on their own. It will have nothing to do with me. What if somebody offered to put you through school for genetic engineering? I would go. <laughs> yeah, I would go. Fulfill that dream. I would go in the daytime and do jokes at night, and then my jokes would be about genetic engineering like Shane Moss. <laughs> Hello, Shane. Me too. Um, what's the last great bit of advice you received? The last on big, stage or off? Mm, you know, the continuous, the the mo- the motif in Ida's life when it comes mm-hmm. to advice is always don't hold back. Um, David Himmelfarb, who created my wife and kids, who's like my mentor and 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 my friend, my manager Brian Dobbins at Principato Young. Um, that the that's the biggest note that I get from them all the time. You look like you were holding back. Don't hold back. Don't apologize. Go further. Go deeper. Go harder. Uh, Roseanne told me that too. And if a new comic comes up to you and asks you for advice, what's the first thing you tell them? Uh, your goal is to get back to you. You know, because you do you do a journey as a comic. When you start doing comedy, you start you you become everybody you think you should be to win, and then the good ones end up right back to themselves and I think that when you operate from your most authentic self is when you win and so I always tell them you know head on that journey to get back to you because at the end of the day that's where you'll win Bill Burr is my favorite comedian right now and it's because he is the his most authentic self and you just you cannot deny whether you love or hate what he's saying. Mm-hmm. You always know he's operating from his truth. And that is that is priceless to me. Well, Ida, thank you so much for not holding back with me. Oh, no, thank you for having me. You know I love you. Oh, I you love posted you my, my uh, I addressed these bitches <laughs> when they talked about my yellow dress and you posted it. You me. always have a home with me. I appreciate that. Thanks. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.